0: We've been in a series, this is I believe the third message in a series called Thresholds, and it's um, about God leading us to certain places. And these are lines that we must go and cross with God as we pursue Jesus. And today is one that is uh, near and dear to my heart. And I'm going to talk to you about shame and the fact that uh, you don't have to live that way anymore. Ever again. You never, oh, you never have to live another day in shame, not another hour, not another minute, not another month of our lives lived in shameful regret about a past that Jesus has taken care of. And I pray and you pray for me this morning because I am already deeply stirred and I don't want to muddle the message but at the same time I don't want to be dispassionate about this. So many of God's people living under a gray cloud that the devil hangs over them or their flesh hangs over them. And Jesus wants to break through the clouds with his light, Amen. set us free. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Consequent, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is words spoken to the, by the Son to the Father, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these... There is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, say that word with me, confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You can be seated. I have over about 20 years of uh, preaching And uh, since 2002, in the lead pastor position, I've preached through almost every verse in the New Testament. Let me tell uh, tell you the one book that I've not gone verse by verse through. It's the book of Hebrews. Most of those years, it was because uh, I was intimidated. The book of Hebrews requires a really comprehensive understanding of a lot of the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, a lot of Levitical law, allusion, sacrifices, and comparisons of, of better things in the New Testament as compared to the shadow of those things in the Old Testament. And so I've never preached through the entire book of Hebrews, but I have preached delicious chunks of it. And this is a succulent passage of Scripture for those with a spiritual appetite. I'm going to have to weave into some, this message this morning some of my own testimony, uh, I was raised in the Bible Belt. I, I cannot remember a time as a young person up until about the age of 10 maybe, as a, a child. I can't remember not being in some church. I'm a denominational mutt. Uh, we were Baptist. We were Alliance. We were in the Christian church for a number of years. And uh, my mom, after my parents split up, took me to a non-denominational charismatic church for a few years. And quite frankly, um, because I wasn't born again, I I didn't understand most of what I was hearing and seeing. Uh, Around the age of 24, I was saved and things began to make sense. But between the age of about 10 and 24, uh, my life was just kind of a, a mess, Hurt on the inside from a family unit that had imploded and failed. Very alone when my father remarried. I lived with my dad. My mom had moved on. and My father remarried, began a new life with a wonderful woman who I love to this day, but still very isolated and alone. And around the age of 14, I began to funnel all of my hurt and anger and confusion into a lifestyle of decadence. I was so dead on the inside, I wanted something to give me the sense of being alive again. And so I searched for it in all of the wrong places. And because of that, I lived a life of reprobation and a life of sinfulness and a life of darkness. It was, it was what I began to love. And yet in the midst of living that life and loving the pleasure of it, when you come down off those uh, spectacular yet counterfeit highs, you, you enter into this valley of shame and darkness because I had all of this religious knowledge that basically said this one thing over and over again to me. This is what I heard, and I thought it was God saying it. I don't believe it was God saying it now, but this is what I heard over and over in my mind. Shame on you. 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 And so my relationship with God boiled down to me running from that voice that I believed was constantly accusing and condemning me. And so when I thought of God, I sensed shame. Many of you can nod your head and say, Jeff, I I get that. You're telling my story, a little different scenario, a little different context, but the same final chapter. and that chapter' is shame. Shame says this to us. Not you have done badly, that's conviction god doesn't mind telling you you've done badly you've done wrong you've acted sinfully god will tell you that because the holy spirit wants to bring you out of that and so in order to bring you out of that he's going to enlighten you to that he's going to say this that you have done is wrong where conviction says you've done wrongly you've done badly shame says you are wrong and you are bad And when you live with a lack of discernment between what you've done and what you are, you can live in this unending sense of shame. And by the way, religious shame is the nastiest of all. It smells the worst. It's it's like walking through a bog, and you take one step out, and you step back in, and you take another step, and it's just that muck, and that sucking down of yourself into the bog of despair. A lot of Christians come to church on Sundays to get rid of the shame. They've lived shamefully all week and they come on Sunday to pay their penance, to do their duty, and to hear yet another word. And a lot of preachers in my position make sport of the fact that people are pre-shamed coming in. So instead of alleviating that shame through the gospel of Jesus Christ they heap more shame. And they say it like this, you ought to do better. You ought to try harder. You ought to give further. You ought to serve longer. And they heap more shame on top of the pre-existing shame. And so a lot of churches are nothing but ecclesiastical shame factories. And The gospel is so counterintuitive to religious logic because it tells us that we, the guilty, the defiled, the lost, the sinner, the violator, the villain, are, are not going to be eternally prosecuted by the Lord, but he will, by the, own, by the price that he paid himself, he will remove the penalty having paid the price himself, and we the sinner, we the villain, we the one who is the violators actually become children of the one that we sinned against. Now the degree to which you believe that will determine the degree to which you step out of shame. And friends, today the gospel is going to be scandalously good this morning so scandalously good that some of you may scratch your head and say, I just don't know if I believe that all of that is true. Well, I welcome you to the wrestling match because let's just see what the Word of God says. Three points, and I cannot believe what time it is already, so we'll see where we go with this, but let's just get into the Word. I want to begin with what I call the provision for a shame-free standing. Can you imagine living shame-free? No sense of shame about what you've done. Now, I'm going to be militant about this. I'm going to tell you that I do not believe that in the Christian's life there is any legitimate place for ongoing shame. Zero place for it. And I differentiate that between conviction and and culpability, but I'm talking about a sense of rejection-worthy standing before God. A shamed sense of, you are bad. You're my child, but you're bad. I just don't believe that God speaks that over His children who have come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. Why can I make such a bold declaration? Well, let's see what the Scripture says. First of all, as the writer of Hebrews is addressing people he is going in and out of speaking to a Hebrew congregation and Gentile congregation. He is heavily saturating this letter with Jewish allusions. He is giving references that the Jews would have known, but he's also speaking it in the context of a a Gentile world. And so as he does so, we have to be very wise in how we parse the verses, but he starts in verse number five, and he's going to give us what I call an adjustment of focus. An adjustment of focus. He says this about Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into the world He says, and He's quoting Psalm 40 here, a Messianic prophecy attributed to the words of Jesus Christ. He says, the Son says to the Father, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired but you have prepared a body for Me. Verse 6, and burn offerings and sin offerings. You've taken no pleasure. And verse 7, Jesus speaking, Behold I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So let me give you this very quickly because it's going to be built upon the further we get into this text. When we're looking at the Old Testament we're seeing from the very first family that God was a God who required sacrifices for wrongdoing. It is what became the source of conflict between Cain and Abel. Both of them were to bring an offering before God. God accepted Abel's, He rejected Cain's, therefore Cain in jealousy came up against his brother Abel and he slew him. The point I'm making is that there were sacrifices even in the first family. Then you've got Noah. The Bible says that Noah offered sacrifices. You've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their sacrifices. Then it was ratified in the Mosaic Law and all of the sacrifices so intricate and complex, the system of sacrifices that people had to make before the Lord. And so your Old Testament Jewish heritage here in Scripture was referencing something that was well known to all of them. When they thought of a right standing before God, their minds would naturally go to the animal sacrificial system. Not only animals but also wheat offerings and grain offerings and and drink offerings and things of that nature. But primarily the blood of animals having to be shed. And then you have the priestly system. And the priest would go into the Day of Atonement once a year into the Holy of Holies. He alone could go that year. And he would go and make atonement for himself and atonement for the nations. And every year the priest had to atone for the sins of the nation. And so what we have here is now the gospel of Jesus Christ has come and the words from Psalm 40 are being attributed to Jesus. And Jesus says to the Father, He says, you have never taken true pleasure in the sacrifices. It's an amazing statement that the sacrifices that God Himself ordained in the Old Testament through the Levitical Law, through the Mosaic Law, were never the end of what God wanted to do. They were forecasting what God wanted to do. Right. And so the attention, the adjustment of focus is off all of the lambs and is now being put on the lamb. And that's what we begin to learn in this passage. But go further with me. Verses 8-10. through 10. There was an assurance of salvation Verse number 8, when he, Jesus, said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, and then the footnote, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first, the sacrificial system, in order to establish the second, which is offering of himself. Verse 10, and by that, by that offering of Himself, we will, that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ and those last three words in the English text. Once for all. Now, we need to just hunker down here because this is, I mean, I'm actually skimming the surface of this. This has such depth to it that we would need weeks and weeks really to do these verses justice. We don't have weeks and weeks. So, let me, let me just give you Uh, the capsulization of what's being said here. When when the writer of Hebrews is describing what Jesus is saying it's an amazing revelation of a conversation, inter-Trinitarian conversation. The Father and the Son are speaking about the incarnation. Jesus says, you didn't delight in the sacrifices but you have prepared me a body. It's a reference to the incarnation of the Son of God into this world as Jesus Christ. And because the Father could never be completely satisfied with the repeated offerings of goats and bulls and lambs, there had to be a better sacrifice. And so you had these words coming from God the Son to God the Father. I, in the body that you have prepared for me, have come to do your will. I have come to fulfill every righteous demand of the law. I have come to satisfy you in your holy bar of justice. I will do always those things which please you, O Father. And so there was this assurance of salvation. He said, Jeff, where is the assurance of it? It is in the, the essence of what Jesus came to do. He's not like all these other lambs. He was the spotless lamb, the lamb without blemish. He's the lamb of God that we sung about this morning. Yes, the lion who roars, but the lamb who lays down. And we see Him in all of His beauty and all of His perfection and that He always pleased the Father, therefore He had no sin of His own to die for. And so when Jesus Christ laid down His life on that cross on Calvary, He was lying down not only as a sacrifice but the substitute. Therefore, he received the full wrath of the Father placed on himself. And if it is the full wrath of the Father, the full expiation of sin placed upon the Son of God who paid the price, then where is the remainder to be paid for? And when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, this is what the Bible says. The doctrine of imputation, it means all that was right about the Son of God, is placed upon us. And all that was wrong with us was placed upon him. And so he got all that was messed up and fouled up about me and you. All that was shameful about me and you. And it was placed upon him as he willingly took it. And the father punished my shameful deeds when he punished Jesus. And he punished them fully and thoroughly and eternally. And so all of the wickedness of mankind... Those of us that have come to faith in Jesus, we are partakers of all of our bad being imputed to Christ and all of His perfection being imputed to us. Now I'm going to challenge you. I am absolutely convinced that until we believe confidently and biblically about where we stand with the Lord, we're not going to be able to worship like we can. We're not going to be able to serve like we should. We will never sacrifice like we might until we are convinced Of where we stand with him. Verse 10 tells us, by that will, by the will of the Father and Son, the Father sending the Son, the Son coming, take upon the body, and in that body becoming the living sacrifice, the dying sacrifice who lived again, by that will we have been sanctified. That is a church word. Sanctified. What do you think of when you hear that word? I think of stained glass. Uh, alabaster figurines of the saints gone past. That's, that's kind of what I think about. But it's really, it's just a Greek phrase that, that tells us that we have been made completely holy and separated unto God. And the verb tense that's written in, by the way, declares it to be a past action with ongoing results. It means we have been sanctified. When Jesus Christ died for us, when we placed our faith in Him in that moment, whether you feel it, Whether you always live it out or not, the fact of the matter is, is God placed you, hid your life in Christ. You are hidden with Christ, and you are, through that offering, made holy unto God. Uh, The assurance of my salvation is not what I did last week. Thank God. I've been a carnal booger, man. I've been stressed out. I have not been joyful I have not been a pleasure to be around. I've had to repent nine times of worrying and fretting over stuff that's so far beneath me. I'm confessing my sins again, but listen, just know that ministry doesn't sanctify anybody, amen? Preaching does not make me any more of a Christian. The point is, is this, I'm so glad that I'm not resting and assured based on what I did last week. I'm resting and assured and based on in history what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and even beyond that that I was set apart in Him before the foundation of the earth. And so it takes the, the fear off. It takes the, the dread off. You say, Jeff, I still don't get it. I'm getting it. You're going to have to get it with me. Let's go further and maybe we'll get it together. Here we go. The continuation of the shame-free standing. The provision is who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And we say, yeah, that's how he got it started, but i got to keep it all together. Really? Then you are a tired Christian. You're a weary Christian. You're, you're fraying at the ends. If you really are trying to hold all this thing together and make sure you just keep it all together, listen, that's, that's not the way God intends us to live. There's no rest in that. So let's see what the Scripture says. He references again this forever folded system. Please hear me, I, I'm, I mean nothing. Um, well, I, I don't mean anything unkind to those who come from a Jewish background, but I want to tell you, Judaism is a folded system. The system of religion, Judaism. The sacrifices, they're not even going on anymore. And Obviously, that was such an integral part of uh, uh, the, the, the religion and the worship of the Hebrews. It's not even going on anymore. It doesn't need to. Why? The system's folded. It's been folded up. It's been done away with. Look in verse 11 every priest this is referencing the jewish priests that were still continuing at the time of the writing of the book of hebrews they were still serving it says every priest stands daily at a service offering repeatedly offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never 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 take away sins this is the the old covenant compared with the new In Christ we are told that once and for all He has purged us of our sin because He took upon a corporal body, He became a human being, was made in the likeness of men, and upon that body He took the full wrath of the Father against sin. And therefore all of sin has been uh, atoned for and those of us that place our faith in agreement with Jesus Christ we are welcomed in by faith into that existing atonement. But in the old system, every single year, really daily in the, in the big scope of things, the priests were constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. I mean, you, you've got to understand that for a thousand years more, it was a constant flow of blood birds, bulls, lambs, goats, drink offerings, meal offerings every day, all the time by countless numbers of priests and high priests that would come in, execute their office for years at times. The high priest coming in different every year coming in to offer into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement that that sacrifice, that, uh, that awareness that they had sinned against the Holy God. But they always had to come back the next year and the year after that. And the year after that, they're constantly offering sacrifices for sin, and yet the sin is never expiated. It's never gone. It's never expunged. They're never free. They're constantly made aware by the sinless system of sacrifices. They're constantly made aware of one thing their guilt. Their guilt. And this was one of the intentions of the law and the sacrificial system, to show that man on his own can never pay off his sin. And yet, when Jesus comes, those sins are not merely covered, they're canceled. Please don't, and listen, I get a little theological with my music every now and then. I don't like bad theology in songs we sing. I just don't. We have a song that we've sung here for years back when we were Meadow, and I don't know if we're doing it so much now. But I remember when I first saw it, it talked about Jesus covers our sins. And I remember writing our worship leader at the time and said, you're going to need to change that. That's not theologically true. And we changed it to Jesus canceled all of our sins. That is the theology of it. Covering Old Covenant. You never know where you stand because what can be covered can be uncovered. But canceled, pardoned, expunged, new record, that means, listen, on heaven's database, I slide up to the laptop, the glorified laptop, I believe it's a Windows and not a Mac up there, I'm not sure, but I slide up to it, and I type in your name, I want to get the dirt on you. Type in your name. I look on the 19-inch high-def screen there in heaven, and your name pops up, and I click on the button that says existing record, and I click on it, and it's a blank page. And I say, well, wait a minute. So I hit escape, I hit F5, I do it again because there's obviously a problem, because I know you, and I know there's got to be some dirt on you. And so I pull it up again, and there's nothing. I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just a clerical error. Let me pull up my name, because I really know the dirt on me. And I pull up my name, nothing there. And I pull up her name, nothing there. And I pull up his name, nothing there. And matter of fact, if I just go forward, there's a couple of blank pages. And then on the last page, it's just through four words. It just says, Jesus paid it all. Yeah. Now, listen, that's kind of a, a clever way... inviting you to understand but that is the reality because we're either fully pardoned or fully condemned and we that are in Christ are fully pardoned why because he paid the perfect price so therefore as I navigate my way further into this text watch in verse 12 through 14 the folded system could never give you a blank page in heaven's database it would always be retrievable but you get down in verses 12 and 14, you find out why. The forever flawless sacrifice. Just let your Bible speak. Don't argue with the Word of God. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified. Now, let's just, let's just rejoice in some good theology right here. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, nothing but constant sacrifices, constant sacrifices, and every time another sacrifice had to be made the one on whose behalf it was being made recognized that I'm still guilty before God. I've got to go and do this. I've got to go and do this. We've got to have constant sacrifice, constant sacrifice. It engenders fear. You you could never know where you were standing because so much of it depended on you. But in contrast to that, the picture is given of Jesus Christ coming and offering for one time, excuse me, all time, one sacrifice. For all time, for all of my sin, For all of my ancestors' sin, for the sins of the people in America, for the sins of the people in Africa, for the sins of the people in China, South America, you name it, put your finger on a map. I'm going to tell you something, every sinner in that region, there has been a sacrifice made on their behalf. And because of this one sacrifice, just one, and by the way, there need be no more after this one had been made. Why? Because this one has provided for a righteous standing before God. And when one enters into that covenant of faith with Jesus Christ, one's entire history of sin, history as God sees it, that means the beginning of your life to the end of your life, God looks and He sees past, present, and future. It is all atoned for. It is all canceled. Now friends, as we think through this, I know it engenders a lot of questions. I'm, I'm not answering all of the splintered questions today. I'm sticking at the core of this because the questions won't be answered properly if we don't address the core properly. And so by a single offering, He has perfected. It's a word that indicates a previous action with ongoing results. That means what Jesus did on the cross, that is where the, can I say it this way, the holy action took place and the results go on and on and on in your life. You, you don't need to make sacrifices in order to gain acceptance with God. You don't need to be better to be accepted. My friends, listen. The only terms by which we are accepted to a holy God is the holy Son of God. And because we have been accepted by the holy Son of God, and because his spirit lives within us, we will want to pursue him. We will want to become like him. We will want to obey him. Remember, it's it's said in the scriptures that it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Samuel said that to Saul. And so it it is not about offering these meaningless sacrifices we're going to get to in a minute. It's about living with this renewed heart that changes your behavior. And so as we go through it, just bear with me here. It says that He's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is what we call positional theology. It means positionally God sees you as perfect, uh, perfect and glorified. When the Lord deals with you, He deals with you, not with a, well, I don't know if she's going to make it or not. Oh, man, boy, I tell you what, I'm worried about this guy down here. God sees the finished product. He knows the end from the beginning. And so, though we are positionally secure in Christ through His one-time sacrifice, I love the fact that it also allows for the reality that we are being sanctified. So it's not a case of raw, easy believism. I, listen, I don't like the phrase once saved, always saved. I just think it's a, a flippant way to describe the security that Jesus paid for by an agonizing, atoning death. I, I've heard people say once saved, always saved. And it's just so casual. It's like, yeah, I can do whatever I want because <laughs> I prayed that prayer. I don't believe in that rot either. That's a bunch of heresy. the the, the fact of the matter is there's some tension between it. But for those that have committed their lives to Christ, I want to remind you of two things. You are eternally secure because Christ did the work, but you are also in the process of being sanctified. And that's where the rub is. That's where the groaning is. And I get that part. So don't leave here today saying, Jeff cheapened the gospel and told people just pray the prayer and live any way they want. You'll never hear that from me. But I'm also not advocating, well, pray a prayer to Jesus and then live in trepidation and fear and uncertainty the rest of your life hoping your good works outweigh your bad. Because that's a miserable way to live. Verse 15 through 18, the forever forgiven saints. So forever folded system, forever flawless sacrifice, forever forgiven saints. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. That's from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and 32. The Lord says this, I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Just watch this. The Lord speaks about an inward transformation that happens, an an ongoing transformation that happens in the lives of those who enter into covenant with God through Christ. We call it being saved, being justified, forgiven, born again. I'm just saying that you've humbled yourself. You've acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You've received that washing, that pardon from sin. You know you're in a process of being sanctified and growing. You're, You're not what you used to be, but you're also not what you could be yet. We all live there. But this is what the Lord says. And he's saying it to a very reprobate people in the context of Jeremiah. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, you argue with God if you want to. I've learned I never win when I do that. God says, it's not that he absentmindedly forgets our sins. It's better than that. It's that he willfully chooses never to remember them. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It is a divine act of a Holy Father's will that says, in essence, I pledge, I commit, and I determine, I will never remember His sins anymore. Now where does shame come from? If God says He's never going to remember them, if the Holy Spirit is the active agent, the divine agent on earth, which He is he lives in us, that means the Holy Spirit is not going to continually bring up to you your failures of your past. The shameful deeds that you committed that had massive ripple effects. Oh, friends, listen, I I can't tell your story. I don't know your story, but this is easy. I mean, some of us have made relational implosions happen because of sinful decisions. Some of us we will have a divorce on our record, and we walk around with a scarlet D on our chest that, that we've put there, and you're defined by a failed marriage or two or three. Some of you, it might be abortion. Some of you, it might be the fact that, that you, you were imprisoned for some crime you committed, and, and you're still living under the, the auspice of, of a guy with a record or a lady with a record. For some of us, it might have been leaving children or leaving a spouse or even worse, some of us were children that maybe were abused, abandoned, neglected, and somewhere on the hard drive of our minds and our hearts, there was this big, ugly handwriting scrawled that said S H A M E, underlined in triplicate. So shame has been written on us. And I want to expose that shame is not a tactic of God. It does not come from Him. So when you define yourself by the most egregious mistake in your past, and you allow that to be layered over your mind and your heart, and you start saying, not that I did something bad, but that because I did something bad, I am inherently bad, then you're cooperating with the lies of the enemy. You're listening to some faulty voice that said to you, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. When the fact of the matter is God, if we will listen, has encoded it eternally in his word, but he also speaks it intuitively by the Holy Spirit. He says, your sins and your lawless deeds, I don't remember. I don't deal with you based on the dark, moldy corners of your past. That's not how I interact with you when I want to talk to you. I don't take you back to this sequestered, nasty place where you failed so I can shame you. I bring you to the cross where I pardoned you, where I declared you to be righteous, where I declared you to be complete, where I declared you to be accepted, where I declared you to be justified, where I said that you were no longer condemned, that you could not stand uh, under my accusation, my condemnation, but you were pardoned, and you were set free, and you were beloved. And so it comes to this place where we have to say, who are we going to listen to? By the way, don't raise your hand. How many of you have enough human voices in your life always reminding you of the shameful stuff you did? I'm going to say a quick word to Christians. If God has chosen to remember it and forgive it, and he paid for it, by the way, we do an incredible sinful disservice when we dredge up the failures of others after they have humbled themselves and asked for forgiveness, and we keep taking them back to the spot of their failure. We're actually cooperating with Satan when we do that. He is the accuser of the brethren. So brothers and sisters, I want you to know, at the risk of sounding like some slick, happy preacher from Houston, that's not me, but I will say this. I am not going to be the kind of preacher who, who just takes sport in just marginalizing people that are struggling. Listen, I hope strugglers do come here. And I hope they find the one who will lead them out of their struggles and into freedom. But if, if we're not going to be a place that welcomes them, if we're not going to be a people that just can look somebody in the eye, somebody that's run around on their spouse, somebody that may be even the most heinous of sins. And if we can't say to that person, if you come to Christ, he will pardon you and comprehensively forgive you and give you a new heart and begin to renew your mind by the Spirit and by the Word, and you will be set free, and you will no longer have to live in shame. If we can't say that, then take down the stinking sign in the front yard, and let's make this a car lot instead of a church. Because if that's not part of the message of the gospel, then my friends, what are we offering to people? Come to Jesus, and you'll be on a a happier probation? Come to to Jesus and, you know, you're okay as long as you don't mess up. If that's the gospel, I am doomed. And so are you. It was Horatio Spafford who wrote these words, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Not in part. You're not carrying that around with you, not as far as God sees. And I believe it is incredibly urgent in this hour that you permit yourself to believe what God has said about you instead of aligning yourself with what the devil has said about you. He said, well, Jeff, it's just the way I feel. Well, obey our pastor Dustin this morning when he said, sometimes you just got to preach to your soul. Sometimes you got to say feelings, can it? Shut your, hmm, be careful, Jeff, shut your mouth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want my feelings. I, I wake up sometimes I'm upset, I'm blue, I'm guilty, I'm shamed. I'm you know, making mistakes and maybe comparing myself with some imaginary measuring stick that nobody can measure up to. And sometimes I just got to say, why am I doing that? My standing, my righteous standing is in Jesus Christ. And I'm safe in him. So what's the result of it? We're going to wrap up here. The results of a shame-free standing. And this this is what we all want. Confident. I want you to say that word with me. Confident. 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 Confident about our access verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. Just stop there for a minute. A lot of us with a bad case of religion were taught you can't really operate confidently because confidence is pretty much synonymous with arrogance. And we know that arrogance is a sin. And so in order to avoid arrogance, we actually jettisoned off confidence. Arrogance is thinking you're secure in yourself. That's arrogance. That's a sin. That's wrong. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing that's repeated often in scripture. But in Christ, we can do all things. So arrogance is rooted in self. We don't want to be arrogant. But at the same time, the opposite of arrogance is not this withered kind of, you know, trepidation and uncertainty and fear and "Ah, I'm just a worm and all that kind of rot, man. That's just, it's pitiful. The Bible says that a shame-free life that is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you've got to believe that. If you don't believe it, you'll never feel it. Some of you are waiting to feel it before you believe it. Now that's a word somebody needed right there. Some of you are waiting to feel it and then I'll believe it. No, my friend, you will never feel it until you start believing it. Because your flesh has been trained to think opposite of this. This is counterintuitive. This is not human nature that is being shared with you. This is divine truth that is being shared out of Hebrews uh, uh, chapter number 10 with you. You have to retrain your way of thinking. And so when you do, you'll begin to not, not, not have to tiptoe into the presence of God. When he is speaking here, he's still giving the context of the the, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year. By the way, that was a very intimidating thing for the high priest. He had to be consecrated ahead of time, prepared ahead of time. Uh, I am told that they would often tie a rope around the high priest as he went into the Holy of Holies because if he did not prepare the sacrifice appropriately, he risked being struck dead by God and nobody could go in to get him because if you go in to the Holy of Holies, you're going to die too. So they tie a rope around the high priest and if he died, they'd pull him out by the rope. How'd you like that on your job description? Good night. (laughs) But look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, brothers, because of what Jesus has done, we have confidence. We can be bold and enter into the holiest place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because there's nothing separating us. There's no fear. There's no threat. The judgment has been paid. And it's that new and living way. It was his flesh. You remember in, I guess, Matthew 27, when, when, when Christ died, that massive, thick curtain in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Many people don't know that curtain was not like the drapes in your house. It was some five feet thick interwoven with many different skins of animals. And it was ripped sovereignly, divinely from the top to the bottom. And in, in effect, the message and the ripping of the veil in the temple at the death of Christ is the way has been opened. There's nothing keeping you out anymore. You know, I thought about this about, uh, about five years ago. You know somebody... Had to go sew that thing up in order for the sacrifices to continue. Some religious person said, Well, we gotta just keep on doing what we've been doing. And somebody had to go and repair the veil that God tore. That's what religion does. Religion prevents people from walking where God wants them to walk. But God wouldn't have any of it because the veil was the flesh of Jesus Christ. And it is through that we enter into the Holy of Holies. And so we can have confidence in it. And so, listen, I'm just like you. When I fail, When I struggle or I sin, or I say something, do something, act in a way that is foreign to the heart of God, I don't feel exactly welcomed into the presence of God. Maybe you do. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. I still struggle with a, oh man, i got to do something to clean myself up. Well, you can't. You, You can't do anything to clean yourself up enough to get into the presence of God. Jesus has already opened the way. What you do is you come with a contrite and broken heart, confessing what you have done wrong, and immediately fellowship is restored. I, I, I thought about this the other day. The kids were up at camp, and Amy and I were exhausted. We were moving and unpacking and stuff, and I just said, let's just go grab something to eat. And so, I went down the street to a restaurant, and I'm just tired, man. I'm just sitting there, and we were eating. And I, 20 minutes into the meal, we're getting ready to leave, and I just looked down. I got food all over my shirt. <laughs> I said, that's it. I am officially a, an old slob. I mean, that's just a way... <laughs> And so I'm suddenly self conscious that I'm walking around and I've I got the menu up and everything. And I'm just like, and I'm, I'm with my wife, and she's seen me much worse, believe me. And I'm thinking, I don't want her to see this stain. So I just confessed it. I said, I got, I got, Your husband has food all over him. She's like, Do you need a bib, sweetie? And I was like, but as, as, as I had a meeting, I met some folks over at my house uh, to pick up some furniture. And before that meeting, I was like, I don't want them to see me all covered with stains. And so I did what any normal person would do. I didn't try to cover it up. I put on something unstained. And so Mike and Amy came over, got to bed, and, and never knew that Jeff had been soiled earlier in the day. Well, what's my point of this very weird story? It's really foolish for you and I when we have a spiritual stain because of some word some action, some thought, some deed. To walk around trying to cover it up with something good we can do. My friend, you need to go back to Zechariah chapter number 3 and, and see that when Zechariah stood before God and he was, clo- he was soiled from head to toe, And the devil was at his right hand accusing him, saying, do you see these stains, God? Do you see these stains? Do you see the unrighteousness? Do you see the filthiness? And God just spoke and said, take that dirty garment off of him. Give him one of my clean garments and put a crown on his head. And the devil said, oh, because the devil has no answer for that. You see, that's what happened to me and you when we came to Jesus. We're aware of our stains. We're aware of our failures. We're aware of it. But friends, we don't have to walk around trying to cover it up. you got to realize that when you came to Christ, He took off your old, dirty, nasty garments of sin, and He placed on you a robe of righteousness, and that's how God deals with you. He deals with you as clean. He deals with you as acceptable. He paid all the work. And so shame tells you you just... Need to walk around feeling awful and living in powerlessness about those old stains that you used to wear. Really, is that what God wants from us? I'm going to give you the last verses, just guys, for sake of time. Uh, confidence about our access, and just go down to verses 22 and 23. Confident when we are accused. These are the results of a shame-free standing. This is what God wants for us. It's what he's given us if we'll walk in it. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Look at the words, true heart. You're not making stuff up. You're just being open and honest. You're not trying to pretend to be something other than you are, even when that's you on your not-so-best day. You're just coming with a true heart. But you have full assurance of faith, which means I'm going to trust God to be who God always says he is, even though I haven't lived up in this moment to my end of the covenant. Even though I haven't operated like I could have, like I committed to, like I should have, I'm going to trust that though I change, he changes not. He is faithful. It says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There's the phrase that the whole message ends on. Shame is living with an evil conscience when God has washed it off. It's you viewing yourself in a way that God never does anymore. I don't know what it takes for each of us to step into this, but the Scripture says that we are people who have been washed thoroughly, cleansed eternally, secured by the great work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And to live as anything less than that, I believe, is a sin of its own description. It's to say, I'm not what God says I am, and because I take his holiness and his authority and his glory so seriously, I'm going to prove that by not walking in the freedom that he's given, by not walking in the shamelessness that he's decreed. I'm going to show you, God, how seriously I take your holiness by refusing to view myself as accepted and beloved in spite of myself. I'm going to prove to you that I am holier than these, I'm going to show you how seriously that I take your holiness by refusing to pardon myself from that which you have pardoned me. And so we listen to things that were said to us when we were six years old. We choose to view ourselves through the lens of some abuse, some abandonment, some derision. And I don't know how the enemy does it, but I do know that he does it. Sometimes when we're just getting close to our breakthrough he sneaks in and he whispers one word that hits us like a grenade. And all of a sudden we're back where we were in our minds prior to Jesus finding us. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, and I'm just going to quit. Sometimes your freedom has been provided, but sometimes you're going to have to fight. Listen, understand me. You're going to have to fight hell to walk in the freedom that God has provided for you you're going to have to fight. you're going to have to retrain your way of thinking i believe that in the room today probably more than half in this room have some sticking point that smells like shame in your life something done to you or something done by you that has led you to say well I don't know that I can operate in that kind of confidence with the Lord. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I'm just going to stay in the back of the crowd. Maybe he won't notice me. Maybe nobody else will, because really I don't feel like I belong with all these others. Let me tell you something. Every single one of us that have come to faith in Jesus Christ belong to him with each other, no matter our resume our history, our high points, or our low points, we belong not because of what we've done, but because of who He is and what He's done. If He declares you shame-free, what better thing could you do this morning than to agree with Him